and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bone Adhesives. And I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. How are we doing today, Rob? Oh, couldn't be better. Couldn't be better, Wayne. So, Rob, we're starting a new year, as we said. Uh, we're just like a week into it. And I thought this is a great time to talk about the new year and maybe some changes in, in the business and what have you. So we have with us today Chris Zizza. And Chris is the owner and founder of CNR Flooring that he founded over 30 years ago. Uh, he's working for, for and with New England's most discriminating homeowners and builders. Uh, you might know Chris that he's the uh, immediate past chairman of the board of the National Wood Flooring Association in St. Louis. Um, you probably also know him because um, he's written a lot of articles and uh, I've read a lot of articles through the NWFA. Uh, he also is on a podcast uh, for the NWFA that we'll talk about. Um, his company was awarded Best of Boston by Boston Home Magazine. And, um, but one thing I really uh, admire about Chris is uh, uh, the way he gives back. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the charities too, but I know he's been involved with Little Bit, uh, which is an awesome organization that's helping underprivileged children in St. Louis. So Chris, welcome. Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome to the new year, right? Good to have you on. I, I, like I said, there's a lot of things that I, you know, when I, we're lucky to get a lot of great guests on this show. And when we get something, somebody on here, I said, like, man, which way do we go with some of these guys? They, they can talk about anything. It's, you know what? It, it's, it's a good show, by the way. Uh, so my hat off to you on that. Uh, and, then we're, you know, we're in a good industry, although my wife always teases me and says, honey, this is only interesting to you and those other guys that do what you do. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> So, well, th that's why this is such a great podcast, because it's all of us guys. That's yeah. it. Just, just, just shooting the bull. So speaking of, speaking of talking and, and stories and what have you, when I first met you, Chris, I want to say it was like seven years ago, and you didn't know me. I didn't know you. I was from, you know, the East, the West Coast, and uh, I just moved back and got to kind of know this part of the country. And we were at an event, and you were holding court. And How unusual. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing about it was, I was just sitting back there listening, and I can't even tell you what the story was now, but what it, what it did for me, it reminded me of my youth uh, in Ireland when I was growing up listening to people in pubs talk. Um, the Irish people have a great appreciation of the spoken word, and Ireland has one of the richest folklore traditions in the world. And, you know, Irish people know the, the importance of storytelling. And for me as a young kid, it was magical, you know, um, and I bring this up. Because storytelling, and we'll talk a little bit about this too, you know, it invites conversation, it captivates attention, it inspires imaginations, and it's one of the oldest forms of communication. And I think it relates to this conversation a little bit, you know, um, because to stand out in today's crowded marketplace with, with your customers, your existing customers, and the prospective customers that you have, I mean, you got to enthrall them, you got to make them interested in you, and, and you know, you got to get your story out, right? Yeah, well, so no question about it. And and it's one story to another story uh, in the industry. You know, when we all get together. That's always a blast because someone has, you know, something that just happened uh, or even something that happened 10 years ago. But, you know, when you think about telling the story, um, I'll just tell something that's relevant to the topic right now, which is, you know, your day-to-day -day operation I go back, and by the way, in my intro, you said 30 years. It's coming up on 35, if you can believe that. Uh, we opened in uh, 1986, and 
I go back to the early 90s and I was on a Bruce trip, if you can believe that. Um, the residential manufacturer, uh, res registered residential contractor, uh, flooring contractor, the RRFC. Some of you guys might re remember that. Anyway, Wally Johnston, uh, I think I'm saying his name correctly, out of New Hampshire, longtime contractor, still in the business. I'm guessing late 70s uh, at this point in his career. And I'll never forget what a standout he was on the trip with his uniform. And when he went to dinner, he still had, he was logoed up. And so I get teased in today's world by my family, by my friends, uh, about the fact that I'm always logoed up. You know, the other day on Facebook, I saw somebody had a picture of uh, Lenny Hall and he had endurance floors on his shirt in a Christmas picture. And they said, did you wear that to Christmas day? And he said, well, it's Christmas Eve. But again, logoed up and always have your logo because it's going to spawn a topic, a question. Oh, do you do floors? Everybody yep. needs a floor. I'm, I wear logo everywhere. Yep. And, and I think that they, they you know, you gotta, they gotta have a reason to want to buy from you. And, you know, that's your window of time where you can have that conversation with a homeowner and separate yourself from everybody else. And some, you go to, you know, you look at contractors in New York, on the way to Starbucks, Starbucks, you can pass 10 contractors. There's a lot of competition Absolutely. out there, right? So you, you got to be your own advocate and really put yourself out there. And, and I think uh, by being able to tell that story sometimes, I think is, is uh, really important. Yeah, you know, your marquee jobs are always fun. Uh, it's it's good to name drop here and there, as long as you're not looking like you're name dropping on those big, you know, marquee clients. Um, the stories of certain jobs you do. We did a job on Long Island. I tell the story all the time. When people want to talk about humidity levels, I go, listen, you not only have to predict what's going to happen inside the house when it's closed, you got to predict what's going to happen when it's open we did a house on Long Island. It, the house is 140 feet long. And on both levels, first floor, second floor, it had accordion walls that the entire house opened up into an open bungalow, or uh, two-story bungalow, sorry. And um, it, it couldn't have been 200 yards off the ocean. And so you had to predict how that flow was gonna perform. And then people like hearing about this house that's 140 feet long and it's got accordion doors and da da da. Yep. And then I tell them it was Calvin Klein's house. And, <laughs> you know, in the story I tell on that isn't that, hey, can you believe we did Calvin Klein's house? It's that, you know, I was walking around the house and I went to jot a note down and the notepad at the phone desk said, from it just said Calvin Klein on it. And I said, that notepad <laughs> could have been in anybody's house. <laughs> But it was in this one and it actually belonged to him. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's, you know, there's the story where people know it, just by telling that story, they know I do high end homes. Yeah, exactly right. You know, Chris, um, I attended your seminar down at Domatex. Okay. And I, and I'm, you know, two seminars that I attended down there. Well, I attended a few. One was yours and the other was John Namba. And I remember telling Wayne, we got to get both of those guys on the show. And we Me had and John together. We need a steel cage match. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love John Namba. He's terrific and a great mentor out there in the business. I don't know what his topic was at Domatex, but I know mine was on, on uh, understanding true costs. 
Yeah. 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 Yours on the true cost and the mentoring. That's what I thought we'd talk about today. Namba's was more about um, getting ready for an inspection, how to, it was really, and really the show we did with him was, mm-hmm. you know, avoiding the inspections, things to do. So you're, you don't end up with an inspection on your hands. Yeah. Well, be a professional guys. That's what you got to do. You got to do it right. And you got to stand up for what's right. And you got to warranty your work. Um, but I, I love that talk, by the way, the Domatex talk is a, that's, that's a talk that we did so long ago. I want to say 15 years ago. Um, and then maybe 10 and then, um, NWFA reached out and said, hey, remember that talk we did on costs, understanding true costs? And I said, yes. And they said, we'd like to do it again. So what we did was we took out that old blueprint, if you will, of that talk. And we massaged it and modernized it to today's world. And the one, there were several parts that still fit because running a business is in many ways still the same as when we opened 30 years ago. Um, but the one thing that seemed the most important to pass on over and over was uh, really understanding how much it costs to sand a floor. And we do a thing called the garbage bag test. I don't know if you were, were you in the room for that part. Oh yeah. That's uh, you were part of my notes that <laughs> night. That night I got home. My son has a small floor sanding business in Albany, New York. And I got back to my room that night and I just couldn't wait to call him up. I go, dude, you got to do this. He's a young kid. You know what I mean? So, so, you know, we do, we do the garbage bag test once a year. And let's let's talk about that. Tell everybody what this garbage test is. I love it. So for those of you listening, you take all your worst employees and you throw them in a garbage bag and you get rid of them. Um, (laughs) That's more my wish test. Um, You got to remember that Wayne does the jokes. Okay. (laughs) It's all good. Wayne, Wayne, Wayne does I'll the leave jokes. that for you. Yeah. Uh, the truth is we got great guys and they love the garbage bag test also. What you want to do is you take out a garbage bag that you typically would be throwing in your sawdust and you put it aside and you go to, I like to target a thousand foot job, but if it's an 800 foot job, that's fine. Don't go smaller than 800 feet. I think you're going to get a false test. So 800 feet to maybe 1200 feet. Everything you touch doing that job goes in the bag. So that means you start roughing out and let's say we're doing an existing floor and you start your rough cut on, on your belts and you, you did your 40 cut or your 50 cut, whatever grit you're using and throw every belt as it comes off the machine into the bag, every edger disc, throw it in the bag. Even though we reuse our edger pads, for this scenario, throw the edger pad in the bag. You can take it out later, but you're going to count it from a standpoint of a cost. Same thing with your scrapers. Just throw the whole scraper in the bag or throw the blade in the bag because we're going to assess a dollar value to the usage of the scraper blade, even though a blade might last, you know, a couple months, depending on your volume or how crazy you are with a file. Um, so the bottom line is, Everything goes in the bag except the sawdust. You go back on day two or three and you're doing second and third coat, the SPP pad, whatever the pad, whatever the grit, whatever, whatever you're using, throw it in the bag. And then when you're done, 
the job's over. Take the bag. Now, you're obviously not going to throw a poly brush in there. It's got polyurethane all over it. So on items like that that are going to be sloppy and messy, we make a note and we'll say roller or we'll say brush and we throw the note in the bag. Now you go back to the warehouse and you dump the bag. You get a couple of folding chairs and you dump the bag out on the floor and somebody gets out a notepad or, you know, you younger guys that are heavy in technology, get out your iPad and start the list and write down everything that you used. Now, if you had 1080 discs that you got used, you've got to go look up the cost of the box of the 80 grit, divide that into the cost, how many are in a box, and that's going to tell you how much each piece of 80 grit paper costs. You need to know the scraper might cost $2 and you may have used five cents worth, but we're adding up every cost to do a floor. And at the end of, it'll just say scraper. Let's say the allowance is a nickel, put it in there. And, you know, write down to something finite as hypothetically, I don't know, what, what could be smaller than the fibers of the scraper blade? I think that's as finite as we might get. Yeah. Uh, a bucket liner, you know, what yeah. are those costs? So when, the, when it's done, you take that number, that dollar amount, you divide it into the square footage, and guess what? That's how many, that's how much it costs per foot to do a hardwood floor. That's yep. not the secret here. That's part of the part of the puzzle, if you will. The main ingredient, we now have a number. Let's just hypothetically throw out the number. Uh, I'm making it up, but let's say it's 40 cents. So now I want to put a profit margin on the 40 cents. That's one avenue. We'll get on that in, in, in later in this conversation. I also want you to put a cost of capital on this. And what that means to you guys, everything you do costs money. So I happen to know that our burn rate or what cost, what money cost at CNR flooring is 38%. So if I spent 40 cents on paper and polyurethane, I'm going to take 0 0.40 and I'm going to multiply that times 1.38. That's my overhead cost. That's my burn rate. Okay. So 40 times 1.38. Uh, bear with me. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. 0 0.4040 cents times 1.38. 55, 55 cents. Yeah. It's 55, guys. So Not 40 cents, it's 55. Right. Now, here's the mistake right. all of us young companies out there have made when we were younger or you might be making now. If you're carrying a cost of 40 cents for your supplies, that other 15 cents isn't accounted for. And that's that's all that overhead that you never think about. Your insurance on your truck, your workers' comp, the tires, the fuel, everything gets in there. It's in our 38% number. So I know to carry 55 cents is a hard cost. You got to start there when you're building, how are we going to charge for a floor? Now, so that's what we do with the garbage bag test. And by the way, when you make your list of all your supplies, it's also a great time, guys. This is the new year. So now's the time where you take that list and you give it to your suppliers and you say, can you give me a quote if I were going to buy 
five boxes of 50 grit belts, five boxes of 80 grit belts, you know, everything you use and make a bulk purchase shopping list. Give that to your distributors and ask for your pricing and then build a relationship. Pick your brand, guys. I mean, look, it's a bonus show, but here's no secret. Everybody knows everything we touch is bona. Um, and it, it, it helps in the system. When you're, you're brand loyal, you, you're going to get the best possible pricing from your distributor if he, if he knows you're coming back every month for your supplies. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You remind me of sitting at the table with my father-in-law when I started doing floors and uh, I was, you know, showing him what I made on a job and everything. And he, he kind of in this, in a roundabout way, had me do the same exercise you're doing. And then, uh, but I, I said, well, you know, I can't remember what it was. Say, I think uh, I made $1,700 on the job. He goes, no, yep. he didn't make $1,700 on the job. Yeah. He goes, what's your, uh, what, what's the uh, wear and tear on your machines? What do you put in for that? I go, what's well, the same machine I bring every job. I don't, he goes, yeah, but that you think that machine's going to last forever. And one day it's going to cost you $5,000 for another machine. So every, on all your jobs, add that into what your cost of the job is. And um, it's sometimes, a, it's a hard thing to do sometimes, you know, um, to, to really look at your business and what your real costs are. And yep. some, my, as a young guy, my thought was, well, I'll just keep working, man. I mean, okay, well, I'll just, I'll land more jobs. And I'll, just, I'll work harder and I'll, 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 you know, do more work. But that's not the answer. I mean, the, it begins with, as you say, Chris, is find out what your, what your true costs are. Yeah. You know, so many people come to the schools and I'm, I hear the same thing. Like, what are they getting? What are people charging? Forget what everybody else is charging. If you don't know how much you need to make, that's why I thought this garbage bag trick was great because that is just a really good place to start with exactly. It, it a is great a starting start. point, right? It's a starting point. You know, uh, the education of becoming a professional, it, 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 it's a long thing to do. You know, the finances to understand them and all that there's segments out there and, and you guys, you want to get educated on the finances. You want to know how to read a financial page. Some people, I run into guys all the time. They're like, ah, I'm a floor guy. What do I need to know? I need to know how to do a floor. No, you need to know how to do a floor in the most professional way. And then you need every year to figure out how to make your business more profitable. That means understanding your costs and understanding when you can sell into a, you know, a, a bear market, if you will. Everybody's busy right now. We're cranking it out. Um, so you boost your price just a tad here and there when you can. Um, I don't know if it's a good business practice to, to gouge out there. I think you need to sell your job for enough money to stay in business, make a profit and be able to save some, pro some, some money aside for like Wayne said, when you do have to go buy that $5,000 machine. Of course, some of the other ways. I remember uh, I was laughing like hell when you said, don't send your guys to the distributor to pick stuff up on the way to the job because that's going to cost. It costs huge. so much money. <laughs> but you know what, Rob? This is the that pisses me off so much <laughs> because here's the thing. When you send your guy to the supply shop to pick up, let's say you ran out of rollers and he's going to get rollers. And you're like, ah, oh, we just need rollers. What's the big deal? Because he's not paying 
and they're not telling him, hey, you can't buy that, that, and that. Those guys are the king of end cap shopping. And they walk <laughs> into your truck and their arms are full of shit they didn't need. <laughs> and guess who's paying? You are, yeah. Dad. You know, because yeah. these guys That's are like right. our kids. I, all I did was stop and get a coffee. That's all. I just stopped at a coffee. Wayne and I both at one time in our life worked the counter at distributors. Yep. Okay. We're looking to talk to somebody. We, yep. we, want, we don't want you in and out. We want you to hang. Hey, have another cup of coffee. <laughs> you think, you know, and the, and the guy's selling rollers for a living. He's like, is, is two rollers going to be enough? And the guy standing there is going, yeah, you're right. I should probably take four. <laughs> Well, you control know, your you, costs, control your, control your costs and control your spending. You know, and it's important uh, that what, what you're saying on here, Chris, because it, it's just not for this one job. It's not for this one month and it's not for this one year. It's compounded. So if, if you, if you can find an area where you can save money, or if you find an area that you're spending too much, you know, over, over five years, over 10 years, over 15 years, over 20 years, I mean, that's money you can be putting aside for yourself. Um, so having these hard looks at your business sometimes is, uh, is, and, and no better time to do it. We're starting out the 2021. Uh, so, uh, that's kind of why we wanted to have this conversation with you. Yeah. Um, Hey, let me tell you something else I, I encourage you guys to do right now. And it's a fun exercise, by the way. Um, you may, you may know off the top of your head who you think your big customers are, um, but so we use QuickBooks at CNR Flooring. So if you're a QuickBooks company, it's pretty easy to go and click on your sales, annual sales year to date, and then scroll through the customer summary. And I like to go just scroll the list. It's a long list. It's been a year. And the, I start off just not the names, but the numbers. And I'm looking for who we're doing six digits with. Um, you know, who are my customers that I did 400,000 with? this year or who did I do 300,000 with? And then I start working down. I don't think we have any one customer that we're doing uh, more than more than 400 with. It might, might be, it's possible, but that's around our top tier. And then we work down from there all the way down to the customer that only gave us, you know, a single dining room for $1,125. Now you gather each of those names and here's a tidbit for you guys. The ones that are all your 100,000 club and up, your big customers, or if you're a small, you know, $400,000 a year sales customer, that doesn't make you any different than me other than we do more volume. So your $10,000 client a year is going to be, you know, your important guy. Your $40,000 client a year is your important guy. The note here for you is one, Let's take care of that guy because he's a repeat client for us. Two, don't lose your cool. When that guy has a special request, that's the time you stay the calmest because you need this guy. He's your big whale. And it's good to know who your people are that you want to never lose your cool on because when you lose your biggest customer, it's going to be hard to replace that dollar that went away in your, in your sales. And if you're trying to grow a business, guys, you want to grow it by understanding, how do I get to the next level? Well, if your largest customer, let's, use, let's just use a small company scenario here. If your largest customer gives you $50,000 a year, then I want you to write down that customer's name 
And now I want you to make a list of other companies in your area that are similar to him that you don't work for. And now let's go get them. And that's how you, because they're going to turn into a $50,000 customer for you. And that's how you grow your business. So many guys out there, when they see me at convention, they want to know, how do I get to the million dollar mark? It's a great benchmark, by the way. Um, and I was coaching a company, mentoring a company a few years ago, and he was going to make it. He really was. He And I didn't call him the last two weeks of December on purpose because I thought it was a done deal. And I was waiting for him to call me. The new year came. I called him up and I said, how'd we do? And he's like, 993,000. <laughs> I'm like, seven grand? You couldn't find seven grand? I'm like, you could have sold me something for seven grand. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> guess what, guys? We got to start all over again. You yes. know what? You want to make your goals, man. You, you want to hit them. Well, that brings me to my next uh, thing I want to ask you. Do you, starting out every year, do you set goals? Because I think sometimes you can get so busy doing floors that you kind of, the day-to-day -day stuff, it, it's, you kind of are in danger sometimes of, of just forgetting what the goals are and what the benchmarks are and, and you know, what your focus it needs to be because you're fighting, you're, you're putting out fires every day. So do you start yeah. the year by putting out, uh, you know, setting up what your goals are and, and do you, do you, uh, relate those goals to the to everybody that you're working with yeah we do actually um i don't i don't want to say like we put together the budget and forecast um we're a professional company we do the best we can but we don't do it that way even though that would be the better way to do it what i like to do is i'll jump on and i did it a lot through excuse me i did a lot through 2020 and the reason I did it through 2020 so much was because I was worried. You know, how much is COVID affecting our business? So what I do is every month, I look at once the month closes out. So mid-February, January is done. I'll look at 2020's January sales versus 2019's January sales and see if we're tracking. If, it's, if I think of it in the middle of a month, I just go to year-to-date sales, and then I click on that report, and then I move it back a year, and I track where we are in gross sales. Now, the reason I do it that way is because I had a fantastic mentor many years ago who said, you'll drive yourself crazy if you look at everything every day. But if you always look at your sales, if you understand your costs, and you have the right profit margin, you worry about your sales because if everything is in place, if your sales are down, your profits are down. If your sales are up, your profits are up. So again, it all starts going back to the garbage bag test and understanding your costs. So you know you're selling at the right number. You know, sell your quality, guys. We sell dustless like it's going out of style, man. And it's an easy thing to sell because nobody wants to clean. And we charge more for it. Every you, corporate stooge at Bona, after they just heard that, is fist pumping right now, doing air fist pumps and everything. You, you fit right in at the, at the Wayne Corporate Stooge Club, man. That's exactly hey, what they want to hear, man. Listen, man, this is radio, but if it was TV, I'd take out a knife, I'd cut my finger, and you'd see I bleed Bona blue. 
<laughs> hey, Chris, you, you mentioned something, the profit margin. And yeah. maybe we can talk a little bit about that because I think that's so important. I mean, it's, it's a lot of difference between, you know, how much money you made and what the actual profit margin is. Uh, and, and how do you, do you set a certain profit margin for your, for your company? And if this, if this, you don't want to disclose it, that's fine. No, but, I don't uh, mind at all. Um, because growth, let's talk, just understand this. Setting a gross profit margin isn't a problem. And it's not that private because the truth is gross profit is important, you know, as important as net profit. Um, but understand gross profit margin is a general business practice, try to stay above 40%. So that's our goal. Do we meet it all the time? No, we don't because our expenses go up and down and sometimes you fall into the 30s and sometimes you, you might sell certain jobs for a lot more money and, and the GP on that, the gross profit, the GP on that is higher. And so you're like, oh, that job we made a lot of money on, but that other job that we had to do over, we lost mm -hmm. a lot of money on. So the gross profit from job to job can bounce around, but at the end of your month and you look at your sales report or your P&L, your profit and loss report, um, you want to go to that GP number and make sure you're not in the 20s. Now, if you're in the 20s out there, it, don't go jumping off a bridge or a roof. It just means it's time to take a better look at our company and grow our GP into the 30s so we can survive. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how you got to look at your math, guys. That's what understanding the math means. What can you learn from failure? <clears throat> well, you know, experience, oh man, I, I've failed enough to know a lot. Uh, <laughs> you know, I guess what you, you know, to answer the question directly, just you learn what path not to go down. Uh, let me tell you guys something out there. I get it if you want to trailblaze your own path. Fantastic. Good luck. But why bother? If you know somebody out there doing it right, putting together a, a good business and making money, it's from the school of Tony Robbins. Mimic success and you're going to be successful. Okay? If you know how to get from A to B is down this path, Okay, you want to look for shortcuts? It might not be a shortcut. And do you really care? You can adjust, you know, my, my yearbook quote back in high school was maybe we can't control the wind, but we can always adjust our sails. And so you, you have to guide your way through it. And look, we tried to do air, air, uh, area rugs, oriental rugs, colossal failure, lost 85,000 bucks, not happy about it. Not something I like to talk about, but I learned from the failure that even though it seems like area rugs are a great compliment, people like to buy those from area rug companies. So I, I, I think it's interesting and I, I agree with you. I, I think that um, you, you, you have to get something out of a failure. You have to get something out of it. Any, yeah. any transaction, anything, I think you have to get something out of it. So it, sometimes it's time to sit down. Okay, why? what went wrong? Why did we go down this road? What can we learn? And maybe we need to change our process or something or, you know what I mean? But failure is not necessarily a bad thing. And some, sometimes, you know, guys can get down on themselves and kick themselves because something went wrong on a job. But that's, a, you know, even a, even a customer is just terrible, terrible interaction or whatever. I, I think sometimes you got to fall on the sword and say, all right, you know what? Here we are. 
there's an issue, let's resolve it for you. Let's get past it. Let's every, as hard as it is to swallow sometimes, I, I think you, you, as long as you take something away from it and you build on that and you, and you, and, and I think they're as important as some of the successes. In fact, I think if you don't have them, some failures, uh, I, I think, you know, um, well, I just think you need them in life. Actually, you're think, right. You're absolutely right about failure. Nobody wants to fail, but you're going to fail out there, guys. Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. Hills and valleys are part of life. Um, you know, there's a movie out there. Uh, it's called The Ultimate Gift. And I'd encourage anybody to go watch it. Watch it with your kids. Uh, I've probably given out more than four or 500 copies of this movie over my career. And, um, but there's a great line in the movie. It's about a billionaire um, who passes away. And I won't get into the long drawn out, watch the movie, trust me. But here's the line in the movie, one of the lines in the movie that I love the most. And he says to his grandson, cause he videotaped his will. And he says to his grandson, who's given a bunch of tasks to, he said, uh, well, Jason, if you made it this far, well, I guess you've got, oh hell, I guess you got nothing. <laughs> and he goes, it, it's, it's a great line because the next thing he says is, oh, hell, I lost everything two or three times. And this, we're talking about a guy in the movie who's a billionaire. Wow. And he just said he lost everything two or three times. And he said, wow. the best thing about the bottom is that's some firm ground you can place your feet on and start <laughs> building again. So, you know, I'm, I'm it's sorry, important to follow that guy. Sorry, Rob. What do you got? You touched on uh, before um, you were mentoring a guy, and then you also touched on uh, a guy that was mentoring you. How, how important is that to, to these young companies about uh, having man. a mentor and uh, or being a mentor for the older guys? Yeah, well, first of all, I love being a mentor. Uh, there's so many guys out there that call me so many times, and if you're one of them, you all, all of you, you always apologize for calling. Don't apologize. I love the phone call. If I don't have time, I'll tell you and I'll call you back later. Uh, but, you know, I said this to somebody a number of years ago. If your business reaches a certain floor in the, in the tower of life, uh, you and if it's a high level floor, guess what, man? Send the elevator back down with directions on how to get there. It, yeah. It's not a rock fight to get to the top. Okay. And it's a big pie and there's plenty of sharing. So I love mentoring. Um, and there's plenty of guys out there that have mentored me over the years. And I appreciate that. Kenny Schumacher out of Cincinnati. I learned a lot by mimicking him, by the way. Uh, and then I get on charity boards and I had giants in industry that were my peers on certain, I was on the board of directors of Catholic charities for 11 years. I got on that board when I was 22 years old and CEOs of banks and, and huge corporate businesses were on that board. And they all taught me things about integrity and running businesses. So mentoring is important. And if you don't have a mentor, find one. And if you can't find one, call me. I'm happy to help. Um, it's, it's important and it's part of the mimicking success. And by the way, when your mentor tells you something that pisses you off, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. Get, get over it. I've actually been mentoring Rob for four years and I've, I've said that many it's times. Just not sticking though. <laughs> just, just not sticking. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, all right, yeah. Chris, there's two things I want to talk about. Sure. I, I can't let you go before. Uh, I, I really think that I know, you know, um, 
this is near and dear to your heart. I know you you give a lot back to charities, um, and uh, maybe talk about that a little bit. And I also want to would be remiss if I don't kind of talk to you about the NWFA right now, where you guys are at and what you guys are doing. Right on. Okay. So um, let me give you the elevator story on on the charity side of our life because I I'm not overly comfortable talking about how much of that we do. Um, but some people don't ever talk about their charity. And we like to announce the things we did and we'll publicize it here and there because it tells the community that you're working in that you care about the community. And people like to hire us. We have a video where we just say, listen, if you hire CNR Flooring, we give back to the community. So giving us money is like giving everyone money because that's what we do. Uh, I've got my make a difference um, challenge where I go out and I highlight different charities and I use my PR firm to do that. Um, I said I was on the board of directors of Catholic Charities for 11 years. I've been on with American Heart, St. Jude. I have my own foundation in Vermont called the Friends of the Valley and it's for helping families in immediate crisis. And over the last two weeks being the holiday time, uh, we used our Albert Fusco grant, uh, which is named after a person up there. And we gave, we, we've got a great ear to the ground and we find out who's hurting. And we gave many people some money. And yesterday I got the most beautiful letter from this woman uh, well on in her years. And she said, I've been praying to God every day. I wasn't sure how I was going to make it through this season. And then your check just showed up and mm -hmm. you, you know, and you, you, it brings a tear to your eye when you do this stuff and you find out just how much you help somebody. Mm -hmm. And so take your business and your profits and help where you can. And uh, don't be afraid to tell people that you do do it for the purpose of letting them know that the company cares about the community. A um, little bit foundation to segue into NWFA. Little bit foundation is definitely one of the charities I love to help. And it's an NWFA charity. They're the ones that introduced me to them. And so we keep our mission over there. That's uh, in St. Louis. We're in 37 schools and we give kids uh, hygiene kits, socks, clothing, uh, and it's all for free. Sneakers. Uh, I mean, I could go on and on about that, uh, but you can look up the Little Bit Foundation, littlebitfoundation.org and send them a donation, man. They need it. Uh, but NWFA, we're kicking ass right now, guys. Uh, I'm really happy where we are. You know, I, I, I gather most of the people listening right now are contractors. And I think the NWFA over the years has grown into a great, um, what's the word I want to use? I can't think of it, but like they segue between the membership categories of manufacturer, distributor, and contractor. And I think they're a perfect conduit for keeping us all close enough that we can all have successful business. And I'm, I mean, heck, Bona introduced me to the NWFA years ago. And uh, when Michael Martin came in, that's how I got involved. And I was already going to convention, but I really wasn't getting involved. And yeah. now we have a lot of contractors that get involved. And, you know, of course, Bona supports NWFA pretty well also. Um, what, what can you expect to see from the NWFA this year? Let's pray that we get yeah. to have a convention. Yep. Uh, we're, we're making plans towards it. Uh, right now, I, I can't say I know the date or the place because we're supposed to be in Baltimore, but right now the, 
the venue is a field hospital. So yeah, I, I and I I said this uh, earlier in the in the in the year when uh, I realized the NWFA was going to get uh, post or canceled and go virtual. Yeah, which I I think you guys did a fantastic job on that. You had to pivot Thank so you. quick with so little time that. Um, and, and I love the NWFA convention. And that, never mind me working for Bona. When I was a contractor, I used to go every year too. Uh, I won't say every year, most every year I could. Um, because man, to get with the guys and network and just share stories across the country, man. And, and actually that's where now it just came to me where you were holding court. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> it just hit I'm me I'm gonna now. guess it was a bar. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, there were two young guys that came in, young guys in their, their early 20s, I think. And you went, the conversation went from, from you, you know, holding court to talking to those guys. And they were sharing their story about starting out as a business and you were giving advice to these guys. And, and uh, so that's kind of where I first kind of had to spend some time with you. So I love the NWP yeah. for that reason. I, I, it's a, like we say all the time, it's a brotherhood. Uh, there's a lot of men and women in this trade that, that uh, do something that a lot of people can't do. And, and, um, and when we all get together once a year, man, it is cool as hell. I hope the NWFA gets to do it this year. I'm banking on that we will, or you will. I am too. Yeah. And so uh, looking forward to that. Yeah, you know, I, I have a lot well. of students at the school who will say, yeah, is it worth it to go to that convention? I say, oh my you, God. you are going to learn. And everybody thinks that I'm greedy when I'm on this show. Because I'm always talking about money. Yeah. I said, but you will learn more ways to make money in three days than you could in six months of going online and reading stuff. One of my favorite, I'm going to tell you this, the 3% rule, it's actually 3 to 5%. Uh, you need to take 3 to 5% of every check that comes into your company. And you need to open a bank account tomorrow and take that 3% and put it in a separate account. If you got a check for a buff and coat for $300, 3% is going to go aside. Take your sales for the week if you do it weekly. But trust me on this. If you do it when every check comes in, you're never going to miss 3%. Now, let me tell you what 3% really is. It's an absolute net profit bottom line if you can't at least make three percent to your bottom line then why are you even in business you're going out of business so you may as well self-embezzle the three percent put it into <laughs> another account and at the end of a year what is three percent of my sales okay at the end of 10 years what is three percent of my sales at the end of a 20 or let's use me, a 35 year career, what is 3% of a business that's doing, you know, a few million a year? Guess what, guys? The number adds up. It's how we bought our building at CNR Flooring. So I want you to learn to do that self funding. And the reason I brought that up is because I taught that in that class as well, Rob. But a few years ago in Tampa, a young contractor came up to me who heard about my self-funding technique. That's what we call it, self-funding. And he had been doing it for a couple of years. And he came up to me and he said, we're doing these big jobs now and I'm able to finance them because of my 3% fund. And he goes, I got a builder right now. He goes, he owes me like 150 grand, but I haven't even built him yet because I'm paying everything myself. And I go, hey, stop. I didn't tell you to do that. I told you, you know, I said, damn it, build that guy and then take the 
Um, <laughs> but I love when the guys are applying it and it works for them. And so take that 3% rule for what it's worth, guys. And I hope you do it. You won't regret it, by the way. We like to put the 3% in a money market account. But I encourage you when you open the account to find out how often you can draw out of it. Because what you're going to do with that account, guys, once it starts to gather some money, this is what it's really about. It's about a safety net. Let's say you're about to have trouble making payroll. And one of those big account builders of yours owes you 20 grand. And it would be great if he had that 20 grand today, but he's not going to pay it. And you get mad because you might not make payroll. So now you're endangering the relationship. But let's not go down that road. Why don't we just go over to our 3% account? Let's borrow the 20 grand. And when the builder pays you, it goes back in. Or if another builder pays you, repay yourself back. But what you're now doing, that's why we call it self-funding. Because now you start funding yourself to carry when a builder says, can you give me another week? He's going to love you because you say, yes, just make sure you get your money later. So yeah. we use a money market account and we, we dub the account. It's called the deposit account. And by the way, we monitor that account on a, on a, a biweekly basis. Okay. So I, there's a lot of things we touched on and we don't have much more time, but I, I, I want to bring this up too. You talked about buying your own building. And I think for, for some contractors, especially in some markets where, you know, we see the price where, the building in, in, in 1980 was, you know, 150 grand in, in uh, 2020, it's, you know, eight, $875,000, you know what I mean? So welcome to Boston. Yeah. So yeah. buying your own building, if you do nothing else, sometimes for some contractors, uh, if you can manage to buy your own building uh, and not spend that uh, on rent every month is a, is it could be a massive investment in yourself as well. Yeah. Well, first of all, first you buy your own building and then you become your own landlord. And if business is really good, raise the rent. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's common practice. Uh, but by the way, guys, for those of you who don't know it, I think it's called the 542. Uh, it was enacted back when Taft was president. Uh, it's through the SBA, but there is a loan program. If you're going to use the business, the building for your business, you can buy that building with 5% down through this SBA loan. Wow. And so you might wanna to talk to your builder, uh, your banker about the SBA loan for buying your own building or your own storefront. Because I went to the bank with my 30% deposit and then my banker said, hey, you know, you might qualify for this SBA 542. And we did qualify for it. I put the 5% down and we put the other money back in the bank because cash is king. So just a little note on thinking about buying your own building guys. Yes. Wayne, really did you vote? Did you vote for Taft? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Wayne's not that old, man, but Rob, man, talk that, about that. old. What was Jesus like? <laughs> <laughs> man, that hurts, Rob. So you watched Grudge Match the night before, didn't you? No, I didn't. Because <laughs> that was the line from Grudge Match. I cra that cracked me up. He was what talking, was Jesus like? Yeah. He was uh, talking, no, that's, that, oh, that's he was talking to a real old. He was talking to a real old guy, and that's what he said. Hey, man, what was Jesus like? Was Jesus cool? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line, but I stole it from a mentor. So thank you, Chris, for your time, man. I mean, it's been a pleasure. And I knew, you know, having you on here would be uh, your wealth of information. And, and again, you've got a lot of articles out there. 
you got your uh, podcast, but don't you mention about that? And maybe there's a, we'll leave you with a parting message if you like. Well, yeah, uh, and, and you're right. I do have the podcast. And uh, what, what I love about the podcast, so it's called um, Real Answers, NWFA Real Answers with Michael Martin and Chris Sizza. And uh, feel free to, to latch on to that, guys. I, I think we cover a lot of what we talked about today. And then we also, we look for guys to reach out to us and give us topics and, and we cover them and we spitball ideas. So the Real Answers podcast is a good place to go. Uh, the NWFA, I think the greatest thing I've seen over the years, if I wanted to leave you guys with a parting message right now, is it's all about education and relationships. Those are the two paramount things that the NWFA is focusing on. We've been focusing on it for years now, and it's what you're going to see in the future. We want to help everybody make their business better through education, through networking. And so be, become a part of it. Become as big a part as Bona is with it. That would make me really happy. Um, and if there's anything I can ever do to help you, I'm findable. Just reach out. And remember, guys, be the best professional you can be. And at the end of the day, you know, leave it at the door and, you know, hug your kids and, and don't carry it inside. It's not worth it. That's a great place to leave it, Chris. And again, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. And Thanks uh, a lot, Chris. Yep. All right. My pleasure. That's another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode. <laughs>